revolutionary talk for revolutionary times. Promoting peace, liberty, and prosperity around the clock. LibertyTalk.fm. Good morning. Good morning and welcome to Medicine on Call. This is Dr. Lena George and today I have somebody who I think, first of all, I'm really blessed and honored to have on my show. Um, this show is going to be a little bit different because it's going to talk about a topic that has a lot of heat and not much light associated with it. We're going to talk about vaccines today and the vaccine industry. And I have Mr. Del Bigtree on. He is one of the preeminent voices of the vaccine risk awareness movement all over the world. He was a former producer for the Dr. Phil show and the doctors. So this is someone who, who comes at this from an intellectual and a knowledgeable standpoint, not an emotional one. Um, from being an advocate for patients and and medical breakthroughs, et cetera, he's come at it at this from, I guess, out of the blue almost. And I want to give Mr. Big Tree a chance to expand on how he made the transition from a producer to an advocate for this movement. Um, we met at the uh, Red Pill Expo, and I highly recommend that everybody go to that and go to the webpage and learn because this is all about knowledge. And let's get started. Thank you so much for joining me, Mr. Big Tree. Still there? Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, I can now. All right. Thank you for having me. Great. Uh, so, to be here. Tell me how you. Tell me how you transitioned from being a producer to top medical shows to an advocate for the vaccine awareness movement. Um, I follow the story. I mean, I think it's like anything else. I, when I worked in the daytime talks with the doctors, I was there for six years, and I celebrated the best that medicine has to offer, the best doctors, the best surgeons, cutting-edge techniques. It was a really great show to get to look all over the world who was doing it best and sort of feature where medicine is going. I also, though, while, while working on the show, was there's seven producers that sort of produce, you know, seven shows a week, and um, so each one of us had to do a whole show. I was a little more controversial than some of the other ones. I would get into stories about environment. I would get into stories about industry, you know, and people. Where there's billions of dollars to be made, I tend to be a little bit skeptical of how much they care about citizens, and so... For instance, when uh, the World Health Organization had ruled that glyphosate, which is in Roundup, the Monsanto product was sprayed over 80% of America's crops, uh, the World Health Organization said that they decided it was probably carcinogenic to humans, which is the second most carcinogenic rating, second only to cigarettes, which is, does cause cancer. Um, so it was a very strong statement that this stuff was dangerous, and so instead of just you know, letting that story go by, I, I ended up bringing in a pharmacologist from Monsanto onto the show and Jeffrey Smith, the GMO activist, and I had a debate on daytime television. It, was, it sort of pushed the envelope of what that type of show would do, but that's me. You know, I always looked to the real story and wanted the real debate. So because of that, I had inside sources that would, you know, feed me stories from inside the pharmaceutical industry, things like that. And I got contacted by one of these sources that said, you know, remember when we'd had a conversation about vaccines and autism and we'd had this like a year earlier? I said, yeah. And he said, and you said you wouldn't touch that story on the doctors unless something big was going to happen or something was going to change because we're pretty much set. We were pretty much set in this idea that vaccines are safe and effective. 
that was what we said on the show all the time. That's what all of medicine was saying. And and this guy said, well, there's a whistleblower at the CDC that's going to come forward in two weeks, and he's going to tell the world that the CDC has been committing scientific fraud on their vaccine safety studies, and specifically on a study in 2000 to 2004, this MMR study, measles, mumps, rubella vaccine that we give our children, that that vaccine, they've done a specific study and seen that it actually caused autism and they hid it from the public. So that's one of those calls of the journalist. You think, well, what are the odds of that story being true? If it is, that's the biggest medical story in my lifetime because that would mean that not only is we have a problematic vaccine when we're being told it's safe, but that a government agency colluded with the pharmaceutical industry to cover up the dangerous vaccine. Anyway, um, two weeks later, you know, I actually tried to pitch the story on our show, but that we weren't going to do it because we have pharmaceutical backing as a medical talk show, and we were best. We were really great friends with the CDC. If the CDC had an outbreak or flu or something, they'd allow our cameras in. We could tell that story. Someone would want to mess up that relationship, and I understood that. But two weeks later, the story did break online. The scientist, top scientist from the CDC, named Dr. William Thompson, came forward and made statements like, you know, I can't believe what we did. Every time I see an autistic child, I feel guilty. I feel like, you know, I'm a part of the problem. All of these confessional statements that he made in a phone call, several phone calls um, with another scientist, and nobody covered the story. I thought, you know, this is going to be a gigantic story, and not Fox, not MSNBC, not CNN, not the New York Times, not the Washington Post, not the LA Times, nobody. It was crickets. Nobody covered the story, and that's when I realized this is bigger than anything I'd imagine, because... You have to think about it, you know, even though media and news, we know it's more profit-driven than it ever has been before, certainly the headline that top CDC scientists comes forward and says they've lied to the public, vaccines can cause autism, that would sell tickets, you know, mm-hmm. the world over. That would sell more newspapers that day than any story we'd seen in five to ten years. And when no one covers it, not either side of it, by the way. They didn't cover, you know, crazy scientists have lost his mind, what's happening with the HR department at the CDC. And they didn't cover great, you know, number one, one of our best scientists came forward and said, you know, it could go either way. Either way, you have a story. When there's no story being told, that means something's being manipulated. And that's what started my journey. I started looking into that story. That's what people will see if they watch back. And um, I can say that. I think it's arguably the most effective and powerful movie so far on vaccines and has become a worldwide sensation, partly um, because we got kicked out of Tribeca Film Festival. The the pharma pushback against a documentary film uh, was unprecedented, like nothing anyone had ever seen. Getting kicked out of theaters, kicked out of festivals, all because we put a scientist in front of the camera and we put other doctors and we put parents of injured children in front of the camera and let them tell their story. And the pharmaceutical industry couldn't have that. And um, it was an amazing ride. It came out early 2016 and my life has never been the same since. Well, um, now I'm an advocate for the issue and I've spent now over three years investigating just one topic the safety of vaccines. I don't think I'm the only journalist that's ever only focused on one issue like this this long. Um, and 
the story gets deeper and deeper and, and um, shall I say, more intriguing the deeper you go. That's a serious rabbit hole. I mean, when you yeah. think about the the structure of the of the news industry, you know, people watch the nightly news. Practically every commercial is a pharmaceutical um, product that they're selling. And if you really take a step back and look at this critically, you wonder how much can they really say because they're being underwritten and paid for by a particular industry. It's a severe conflict of interest, isn't it? No, you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, when people say, if this was really an issue, I would see Sanjay Gupta telling about it, me about it. I would see my doctor would tell me about it. If vaccines were really that dangerous or could cause neurological disorders like autism, I would know. It would be in the news. My doctor would say it. But the truth is that I'm, can, I'm here to tell you that I wish that was true. I wish we were hearing about it. But as you pointed out, we watch these ads. After every news program, every no matter anchor, whatever anchor you listen to, whatever your station is, just watch those ads. Some drug with a crazy ticker tape of ridiculous side effects, and you're giggling to yourself, thinking, "Who buys that stupid thing when it has, you know, everything from, you know, disgusting, you know, anal leakage problems to suicidal thoughts?" And we got to stop laughing because that is paying the salaries of every anchor you're listening to. 75% of the advertising on the news, on television now, is pharmaceutical advertising, which means all that box is becoming on your wall in your house is a billboard for the pharmaceutical industry. The shows are just there to get you to your next billboard and advertisement that you are sick. You need pharma, you need a drug, you didn't know you needed a drug, but now that you see it, you need that drug, you need vaccines, they're great. And um, and that's what's driving this. So you're never going to hear this story from a news anchor, not from Anderson Cooper, not, you know, from anybody. Let me just single anybody out. But any, any news anchor you're listening to is being paid by pharma, and you have to see it that way. And then ask yourself, hmm, why is it I only hear one version of the story? I hear the news say that vaccines are safe and effective, and we've looked at it, it doesn't cause autism, yet my neighbor is telling me that their autistic child that they saw it happen right after vaccine, my cousin, my aunt, my, you know, my, my own children with ADD, ADHD. I mean, these kids can't just not focus in school. They're jumping out of their seats. They need drugs to sit still. Diabetes running rampant. You know, this illness, our children are so sick, and we're looking at them being sick. We're watching our special needs classes exploding. We're watching all the money in our children's schools disappearing the special needs. They're cutting back on music programs, on art programs, on sports to pay for this special needs group that is just blooming and exploding in its size. And somehow we keep listening to our doctors and the news saying, oh, it's always been like this. It hasn't always been like this. I'm trying to remind people, you've got to remember how healthy we were. And this is a new normal, and it's being caused by the very industry that says it's there to make us feel better. I couldn't have said it better. And I think one of the statistics that really people need to know about is the fact that every seven minutes in our country, a child is diagnosed with autism. And it's, it's extrapolated that by the year 2035, 50% of children, all U.S. children, 50% of them will have autism and 80% of boys. Think about that. 
And let's take a break, because when we come back, I want to break down the government side of this. This just didn't just happen in a bubble. I think that it was, you know, the ground was sowed and it was fertilized for this to become what we're living with now. Um, you're listening to Medicine on Call. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. We're speaking with Mr. Del Bigtree, the producer of the movie Vaxxed, and also the founder of the nonprofit Informed Consent Action Network. He's also the host of an internet talk show, which reaches over 33 million viewers to date, called The High Wire. And before the break, we were starting to get into the, the way that this all unfolded. And the government plays a role in this, don't you think? When they, Congress passed the uh, vaccine, in, uh, was it the vaccine injury act or whatever that was. Can you talk about that? Because I think that was something that created this monster that we're living with. Yeah, absolutely. But it's called the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Act. Um, and what happened was back in 1986, the pharmaceutical industry was losing so much money from lawsuits um, for death and, and injuries by vaccines in children, especially, and especially a DPT vaccine, a diphtheria, uh, tetanus and pertussis vaccine that was really hurting children. Um, so they went to the government, Ronald Reagan, essentially, and said, we're going to stop making all vaccines unless you protect us from liability. So they blackmailed our government. They knew that we wanted to try and stop infectious disease and vaccines is the way we do that. So they, instead of fixing the issue with the vaccines, they ended up just getting our government to cover them from liability. And that's what passed. So essentially, you cannot sue a vaccine maker if it kills your child, if it injures you, you can't sue a doctor that injected it. You can't sue a hospital that you were standing in when it happened. They've protected the entire process of delivering vaccines. And I think that that alone should make people think, wow, if vaccines were so safe, why would it need that kind of indemnity from liability? Certainly every other product, in the, in, certainly in America and really around the world, what makes a product evolve is the market force that you can sue if it hurts you. If a car airbag fails and a couple of them fail the same way, we watch Toyota recall millions of cars. It happens. And they go and they fix the problem. But when a vaccine injures or destroys a life or 10 lives or a 1,000 lives, they have no responsibility. They keep making money. Their doctors keep saying they're safe and keep putting them out there. Nobody really is held responsible. And so, um, you know, one of the things that just happened actually, and this is sort of outside of that, but two weeks ago, um, Bobby Kennedy uh, acted as a lawyer for my nonprofit called Informed Consent Action Network. We had sued Health and Human Services, which is essentially the mothership of our of our uh, health program. HHS is what we call it. Overseas, the CDC, the FDA, HRSA, and uh, NIH. Um, so in the Vaccine Compensation Act, 
they knew, the Congress knew, and Ronald Reagan was really very reticent to pass this law because they knew it would be dangerous. They knew that you had a dangerous product to begin with, something's injected into children. You're going to take away liability, so you're going to set a, this, this industry that's known for lying to the public, known for having to be sued for injuries from drugs that slip through the FDA and end up killing and destroying people's lives, Fen-Fen, Biops. We've all seen it on television. It happens all the time. And we find out behind the scenes they always knew that the product called, you know, caused heart attacks or aneurysms. And, and if you've been injured, call this law, law firm. Mm-hmm. But you can't do that with vaccines. And they're made by the same lying, money-driven industry. Um, so instead of being able to sue, the Congress said, you know, and Ronald Reagan said, we've got to have some sort of stop gap. We have to have some sort of safety measure that makes sure that vaccines are safe before they go on the market because now there will be no incentive for the, the manufacturers to care. They can't be sued. And so what they did was they put Health and Human Services in charge of vaccine safety. And they said in the law, the 1986 law, even though there's no liability, HHS will be responsible. Every two years, they're going to have to meet with the Congress of the United States and explain to us what they've done to make vaccines safer, how, what they've done to, to reduce the amount of adverse events from vaccines. You know, and this was something that the Congress was going to be directly involved in. Well, we uh, put out FOIA requests uh, last year asking to see what the minutes were from those meetings with the Congress, what recommendations over the last 30 years since this law passed have been made to Congress, how has HHS done safety studies, and what have they done to make them safer, and they wouldn't respond to us. Not for two months. They're supposed to do it in 20 days. They avoided us for almost eight months. We finally went to the courts and said, we want the courts to get involved. HHS is not responding to its citizens, a government agency. We want to know what safety measures have been taken and what they said to Congress in their two-year meetings that were mandated by the law. Well, guess what? They finally came back and said, okay, what do you want from us? We said we want the truth. And said the truth is, is we've never had a single meeting. Not once, not once since we took liability away from the industry in 1986 did we ever convene a meeting and talk to the Congress and explain ways we could and would make vaccines safer. So now imagine this. We had products that were getting so many lawsuits that this billion-dollar industry was starting to say, this is not profitable, we cannot do this. They handed responsibility to the government of this now faulty product, and the government said no liability, and then the government never did anything to make them safer, never ever had the meetings it was mandated to have. Um, and you can imagine what issue we now find ourselves in. So what happened? We went from 10 vaccines in the 1980s to now our children get 56 vaccines uh, in, in 72 doses by the time they're 18 years old. 10 to 72. And at the same exact time, we've watched our children go from 12.8% autoimmune disease and neurological disorders, chronic disease is the, is the overreaching uh, name. We went from 12.8% chronic disease in the 80s. We took away liability. We exploded the vaccine market to make it a, a golden cow. And now we have 54% of America's children now have a chronic illness, either a neurological uh, development disorder or an autoimmune disease. 12.8% to 54%. So when people tell me, you know, well, why are you getting into this? Vaccines are great. They've saved us. I said, this is the sickest generation of children we have ever seen in this country. And this is something we would say on the doctors. It is, it is, a, it is a medical principle now that the current generation of children 
will be the first generation that do not live to be as old as their own parents. We have more, the headlines are coming in every day. We have more babies die on the first day of life than every other industrialized nation combined. You are 70, I'm just reading the headlines for you. These are the facts. You, you are 70% more likely to die as a child before adulthood in America than every other industrialized nation. We just saw, I think, five days ago, you're more likely to die while giving birth. The mother's more likely to die in America than every other industrialized nation. Why we keep holding doctors up on pedestals as though they're these gods and they know everything when we have the worst statistics of health the world has ever seen, I do not know. Something's gone tragically wrong. I think doctors mean well. But they've been lied to by who? Our government agencies that were supposed to be working on health. And instead of meeting with the Congress and making vaccines safer and really being focused on that, instead, they took all the money they make and got into promoting vaccines, to creating patents to make vaccines, and to distribute vaccines. The HHS, uh, CDC uh, specifically, buys five billion dollars with a B, five billion dollars of vaccines every year and distributes them. Our government agency has become a marketing arm for the pharmaceutical industry. And then you give them the same job to make sure that they're safe. Think about that conflict of interest. That's what you see when you watch the movie Vax. That's what Dr. William Thompson tells us is that we had two jobs. One, to promote vaccines and try to stop infectious disease, and the other to see if the vaccines were safe. Well, guess what? When we started seeing there was a causal link between the MMR vaccine and autism, we sat in a meeting with five scientists, that's all that were part of the study, and we said, if we tell the public the truth, that the MMR vaccine can actually cause autism to the tune of you were more likely. The study actually showed that a perfectly healthy child is up to seven times more likely to develop autism if they get the MMR vaccine between 12 and 18 months as it's scheduled by the CDC. When you're told by your doctor to get it, you're, you're up to seven times more likely to get autism than if you wait until after three years old. That's what the study showed, and they never let the public hear that. Only Dr. William Thompson came forward 10 years later with a guilty conscience and told us not only did we hide that from the public, not only did we manipulate the study, they brought a giant garbage can in the middle of the room, and they made us destroy all of the data that showed this connection to autism from the MMR vaccine. And he said, I thought that we were breaking the law, I knew it was wrong, and I kept copies in a safe. And that is what Baxter is all about. He brought those 10,000 copies forward that proved that our CDC, the government agency, saw a vaccine was causally linked to autism and destroyed that data and hid it from the public. You know, when you think about, you just mentioned two pieces that the government plays, but the third part is the, the mandates. You know, the, that there's a mandate for children to be vaccinated before they go to school, that there's this guidelines of when some ch when children need to get their vaccines. There's no studies. And, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. They never did studies that compared the safety with children who were vaccinated versus children who were never vaccinated. So you don't even have a control group. I mean, there's no real double blind studies like a typical scientific experiment to say if something works and if something is safe. None of that was ever performed on vaccines. Am I correct on that? 
you are correct on that. That is something that I was shocked to find out. You know, what you're describing is the scientific method to establish safety in a drug or a vaccine is a double-blind, inert, I want to make this point, an inert placebo, meaning Mm -hmm. a placebo that does not affect the body in any way. So, for instance, you know, a drug like Enbrel, uh, you know, they will give one group the drug in the trial period and another group will get a sugar pill. Or if it's an injection, they'll give one group the injection and the other group will get a saline water injection um, to track those people. And they track them for sometimes five years, ten years to see, and, and it's called a double-blind experiment because neither the participants in the study know which one they've gotten. And the doctors and scientists don't know who's getting what. Not until we track them for five years, we put their data into a computer, and then we call it what's called unmasking it. We unmask it to see, did the real drug group versus the placebo group have more cancer? Did they have more autoimmune disease, maybe multiple sclerosis or diabetes? And if the drug performs well against the placebo and they have a fairly similar safety profile, then the drug gets approved. That is the only way, by the way, to determine safety. There is no other way in science to determine safety other than a double-blind inner placebo study. And Bobby Kennedy and I had the opportunity. Um, many people remember Donald Trump met with Bobby Kennedy last year. I think it was June. Um, and Bobby Kennedy came out and said, Donald Trump wants to start a vaccine safety commission, wants me to head a vaccine safety commission. Well, that didn't ever really totally come to fruition, and there was argument in, in the cabinet. But we did get set up with a meeting at the National Institute of Health um, that, uh, with uh, Francis Collins, Tony Fauci, head of infectious disease, other luminaries from the CDC, FDA, NIH, all in one meeting. And we presented to them all of our issues we saw with vaccines, including what you just said. We said to their faces, is there, are there double-blind and placebo studies either that the manufacturer isn't showing us because we've looked at every single page of material they will provide. We've looked at every website the CDC has, including um, um, uh, clinicaltrials.gov, which is a great web- website. We can't find any saline placebo studies just in any of the trials for the vaccines we give our children, 16 different vaccines. And they hemmed and hawed, and then they finally looked at us and they said, we don't do uh, inert placebo studies, saline studies. And we said, what do you mean you don't do them? They said, no, it would be unethical (laughs) for us to do them. What? What? Meaning that they believe, you want to talk about something that will start to sound a lot more like a religion than a science. They believe a vaccine is so great, even a brand new one like Gardasil, which was the first time we're going to try and go after a cancer with a vaccine, the HPV vaccine. They thought this is such a great product, even before we go into safety trials, that to have a placebo group of girls in this instance, teenage girls that didn't get the benefits of it for a few years while we followed them would be such an unjust injustice to them that it would be unethical. I mean, think about that logic. Mm-hmm. Instead, it's more ethical to take a product that doesn't go through a safety study and put it on the market for every teenager to get and be, as you pointed out, mandated by the government of the United States. Now the entire population have just become the real experiment. And as we've seen with HPV, all over YouTube, videos of girls that are paralyzed, uh, can't walk, girls with pandas, girls with, I mean, all of these different neurological disorders, uh, uh, ovarian failures, a major, we have fertility problems, 
early menopause in 13-year-old girls all happening. If you go online, you see it everywhere. It's a catastrophe, and no one's accountable, and nobody seems to care. And when they tell you they're safe, I can tell you they have never done the science to ever make that statement, not on a single childhood vaccine. So it doesn't matter whether you agree with the CDC or the NIH when they say it would be unethical to, to have a placebo group on this great new product. What you now know is that the head health institutes of America have said to us blatantly, we have never done a safety study on a single one of the 16 vaccines we give our children. You can compound that by the fact that there's a revolving door between the CDC, F- FDA, Big Pharma. They all circulate amongst themselves. I mean, so how does that work? If someone's worked for the CDC, they know all the secrets and all the things that goes on there, and they go into the, the industry, uh, the pharmaceutical industry. What's going yeah. on with that dynamic? That's one, of, that's one of the things that Bobby Kennedy and I work is trying to create laws so that you have to like maybe wait 10 years before you either go from the CDC into the industry or from the industry into the CDC. Uh, but currently, if you take a year off, as in, and if you've seen BACs, you'll know that the head of the CDC, Dr. Julie Gerberding, who oversaw this fraudulent study that BACs is all about with the MMR and autism, after overseeing that study, which, by the way, that was a Merck product, the MMR is made by Merck, after her tenure at the CDC, she took a year off, and where did she end up getting a job? Head of the vaccine department at Merck for a $2.5 million a year salary. Um, you know, I'm not going to speculate, but if we keep doing that, certainly we're going to have people not doing what's right uh, for our citizens and these government agencies. You know, one of the things I say, I, I always say I grew up a progressive liberal from Boulder, Colorado, and I'm an environmentalist. Um, and, you know, I look at this issue and we are not being protected. And a lot of my friends will say, I'm terrified Donald Trump's going to destroy all of our regulatory agencies. And I say, I hope he does. I hope he does, because we're watching with our own eyes. We have to wake up. Our FDA is now being run by Monsanto. People from Monsanto now run the FDA. People from Exxon run our EPA. And people from Merck and Pfizer run the CDC and the NIH. If your regulatory agencies have been taken over by the very industries they were supposed to be protecting us from, it's better that we don't have any because at least at that moment, every citizen will recognize, oh, my government's not looking out for me anymore. I'm going to have to be the one reading every label and responsible for everything that goes into my body and my children. Uh, we have to get to that place because these regulatory agencies are no longer protecting us. I think I couldn't have said it better. And let's take a small break because we're going to get into the meat of what happens physically when we come back. You're listening to Medicine on Call. health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. 
and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. I wanted to take a short break because this segment is powerful and it's going to open your eyes to the fact that we really are guinea pigs. And, you know, when I've, I've spoken about this before, Mr. Big Tree, about the pharmaceutical industry, how you can make any statistic work in a way to give you the answer that you want. And a lot of these, these new drugs are underwritten by the pharmaceutical industry, so they have a, a vested interest or a dog in the hunt, so to speak. But the MMR vaccine is, you know, particularly egregious. And I, I had, um, I think it's um, Mr. Hooker on my show at one point, mm-hmm. and I watched the movie a second time, and what went on with the statistical data on the MMR vaccine is obscene. There is, I think, a seven-fold increased risk of black males, young black boys, being injured if they take a vaccine below the age of three. And they jury-rigged the numbers on that to decrease the number of children in the study so they can come up with it's not statistically significant. Can you go into that a little bit? Because I think that's instructive. Yeah, so... Thompson, the study, what the movie's really about and what happened with that study was they looked at 3,000 kids from the Atlanta school district. I think 700 approximately of them had autism. They compared them to each other in in what we call an epidemiologic study. And we had all of their school records and their vaccine records, and we could see when they got vaccinated, and then we saw which the ones that had autism when they developed it. And so when Thompson, and what makes Thompson so interesting is he was the numbers guy. He was the one, he was the actual epidemiologist that ran the computer programs. The other four scientists just gave advice and thoughts on how to uh, ask the right questions, but he was the one that ran it. And so one of the first things he did was read, you know, run African-American children. He had, there was a lot in Atlanta, so there was a large African-American cohort. And he saw that, just as I said, that African-American children were 2.64 times more likely. So essentially 264% more likely to get autism if they got the vaccine on time versus waiting until after three years old. And then he said, you know, then the next thought was, well, if, if all African-American children are more likely, then I should look at boys only because boys are four times more likely to develop autism than girls. And just to test, these are the types of things you do with a study, to test and make sure you're not just seeing some weird blips, some weird anomaly. You have to see patterns that sort of that coincide with what we know in the population. So he ran just the African-American boys, and just as you would expect, it went from 2.64 to 3.56 times more likely. I mean, that's a huge number. It's really, really big uh, to be that much more likely to develop autism. And then with the number you're talking about, 
was the story we always hear of parents who have watched their child develop autism. They say, my child was running around. Uh, they were healthy. They were, you know, some of them had their alphabet, some were saying words. And then they got the MMR vaccine and they regressed into autism. They lost the ability to walk. They lost the ability to talk. You hear the story over and over and over again all around the world. So the CDC was tasked with looking into this issue because so many parents, especially out of England, were saying the MMR did it to my child. And so the study said, how would we find those children that regress? You know, how do we, how do we find them in an epidemiologic study? And what they did is they created a group that they called um, um, isolated autism, meaning all these children had isolated they, they, autism. They took out the ones that had seizures when they were born and were having other, you know, uh, issues. They said, let's just look at the children that were perfectly healthy for the first year of life and then were diagnosed after that with autism. And when they looked at that group of perfectly healthy children of every race, they were up to seven times more likely, 700% more likely to develop autism, meaning it's a huge problem for African-American children, but it's a problem for every mm -hmm. single child. It really is not selective. I think in an odd way, this is one of those issues that could actually bring all of our communities together because this time we are all in it together. We are all victims of this very, very dangerous vaccine, and it's not the only one. Well, that, that statistic of 50% of children by the year 2036, yeah. or 35, sorry, that does affect everybody. Now, I also wanted to get into, you know, the fact that, you know, with these studies and with African-American children specifically, the fact that you can change the numbers, that people knew about that, and it was not, it was, how can I put it, it was with intention, really, sounds like, yeah. that they did this without regard to outcome or the effects. And we've seen a lot of things on the news about, like, the measles outbreak in Disney World, or Disneyland, I should say, yeah. and that was the push to vaccinate children. I think, what, 600 children contacted the measles, and some of them were already vaccinated yeah. versus a million children. Were, by the way. Most of them were vaccinated. Yeah. There's about 100, there's roughly 150 people in Disneyland area, but 600 across the country in, in different various outbreaks that year. So it's one of the worst years for measles we'd ever had. And by the way, nobody died. And that's something we never talk about in this huge crisis that was on our news 24 7, mm -hmm. trying to make us terrified. No one died. Every one of those 600 people is now a fortress of health because unlike everybody else, those that have had real measles will be immune for life. So if you want real herd immunity, those are the only people delivering real herd immunity. Everybody else is going to have to get the vaccine every five to ten years because they wear off, and that's just the nature of vaccine. So this thing is, and, you know, people should just look up the Brady Bunch episode of the measles <laughs> and remember that this was a joke back in the 1950s and 60s. You know, every one of the family gets the measles, and they're just checking off the chalkboard, and the one kid says, 
you know, if you're going to be sick, you sure can't beat the measles because they're all playing the entire time as they're home from school. We've allowed, again, when I talk about our past, we've allowed them to make us believe we we're always as sick as we are. And they've all, we've also allowed them to make us believe that measles is a terrifying and deadly plague. And it is not. It is a virtually trivial childhood illness. Yes, there was an occasional, you know what the death rate of measles was? Prior to the vaccine in, in 1960, the death rate was one in 500,000 people in America would die of measles, one in half a million. Meanwhile, we have changed the statistic to now one in 32 children have an autistic diagnosis, many of whom will be in diapers through their adulthood and may never speak again. So, you know, that, I think, are the statistics. They want to talk only about success of their vaccines, but they don't want to talk about the repercussions that have happened in the exact same time period. Uh, again, one in 500,000 measles was once deadly, but over the, the 50 prior years, it disappeared in this danger. We don't know if, it, if our bodies got stronger or if the virus got weaker, but it was already almost down to zero when we brought on the vaccine. In fact, I would argue that we were on the verge of natural herd immunity across this nation. And instead, we brought in a vaccine and destroyed our herd immunity. But that may get to a little too in the weeds for your average person. Uh, but herd immunity, which is what this is all being sold on, is a complete myth. It is a lie. And I can explain it to your radio listeners now because it's what we're all sold on. You know, it used to be if you didn't vaccinate your child, a school would say, well, we have a, we have a mandated mandatory vaccine program. And the parent would say, well, if vaccines work, then you don't have anything to worry about my unvaccinated child. And they didn't have an answer to that. And so the kids would just go to school. Well, now all of a sudden, in the last 10 years or so, they came up with the idea of herd immunity, meaning, well, it's not really about the kids that are vaccinated. It's about those that are so sick and fragile or young that they cannot be vaccinated. We have to protect them and, therefore, to create herd immunity and cocoon them and make them safe. That's why your child has to be vaccinated. Well, the statistics are very specific. In this, we know that, for instance, with measles, you need a 95% vaccine uptake to achieve this, this myth of herd immunity. That's 95% of the entire population. And I, I do this in audiences all the time. I've done it with health departments, by the way, in legislative meetings. I did this in Mississippi. And I said, okay, so we all know that the measles vaccine wears off every five to 10 years. Uh, I can prove that because the CDC has an adult mandate for measles that you need two more once you're an adult just to maintain your immunity. Okay, so in a room full of adults, I'll say, will you please, you know, stand if you have not had your adult booster for MMR in the last 10 years? And I will tell you, 95% of any audience will step up to its feet. And everyone driving and listening to this radio show right now is thinking to themselves, you know what? It's true. I haven't had my measles booster in the last 10, 20, 30, 40, sometimes 50 years. So he's making a good point, and here's the point. 
It is not 95% of children that have to be vaccinated in order to have herd immunity. It's everybody. And if 95% of the adults in this country are not currently immune because they haven't gotten their vaccine, then we're only at 55% immunity in this country to measles. And why? And, and I'm not saying we should vaccinate all the adults. What I want to point out is we never had 95%. We've never been there. We, we, will, we can't even dream of what it would take to get there except force vaccinating all adults. And so since we haven't met the number, I would say, where is that return of polio they tell you you're supposed to be terrified of? Where is that smallpox return? Where is the giant measles outbreaks where people die and flu pandemics? Because we don't have herd immunity. And I'm telling you, it doesn't matter because our bodies actually do just fine in the environment. And healthy adults don't get sick because they're healthy. You don't need vaccines. And all it is is a marketing ploy. I think everyone listening, you know, there might be one person out there going, I got my booster. Go ask your friends if anybody else did, and you'll find out this whole thing is a giant lie. Well, I've seen there's a, a push now to have adults take vaccines and for boys to take Gardasil. So it starts off in a very small population, and then it just expands. Everybody needs it at some point. But, you know, it, it, everything that you're saying, it, it really comes down to is prevalence. 4,000 people die of, uh, what is it, uh, not uterine, but um, cervical cancer per year. Mm -hmm. And those people have poor immune systems, nutritionally deficient, you know, they're otherwise not healthy people. So to, And to, most likely didn't get a pap smear because no. if you're going to your gynecologist and they spot, you know, a, a, you know cancerous uh, starting in the, in the uterus, they can cut it out immediately. It's one of the easiest things to stop. If you're visiting your doctor, we have ways around it. Actually, the vaccine was not made for America because women go to doctors so often. It was made for the third world where they don't have gynecologists and they don't have, they're not, you know, that doctors aren't readily available to them. Mm -hmm. uh, but it wasn't making enough money. They said, well, geez, we're not making enough money in Africa. Why don't we get America? Why don't we get Japan? Why don't we get the, you know, the, the, the industrialized world? And by the way, they'll be able to afford it and pay for it. Well, you have the government um, so, paying for it, too. So you've got, well, they, right. by, by purchase, what, $5 billion? In, $5 billion. There you go. Every year. So it's yeah. basically pre-sold every year. All you have to do is come up with something new to add to the vaccine list or the regimen. That's really what it's come down to, it sounds like. When you follow any story, the USA is follow the money. And just to give people a perspective, you know, they will say, well, vaccines don't make any money. You know, it's like this altruistic product mm -hmm. that manufacturers make. HPV vaccine is designed for boys and girls. The CDC would like to give it to 9 to 24-year-old boys and girls. They're trying to get it mandated so that you don't have a choice. Right now, it's just recommended. They want to mandate it. If you mandated 9 to 24-year-old boys and girls get a vaccine, two doses that is about $450, um, that ends up being $30 billion in one year. If you pass that mandate, Merck makes $30 billion off of one vaccine in one country alone. I can tell you where there's $30 billion to be made. There is some scams and there are frauds and there are things being pushed under the carpet so that the world thinks that that's a great product. 
Uh, it's dangerous, and the government has no way of standing in the way of it. That kind of money, we just can't compete with it. They have all the advertising. They're buying your politicians, and that's the truth. The pharmaceutical industry is now the number one most powerful lobby in Washington. To put it into perspective, pharma spends twice as much for every dollar Exxon and oil energy spend in Washington. Pharma pays twice that to buy politicians. Why? Not because they want to make you, you know, addicted to Oxycontin, because they are working on laws or a product you don't have a choice to take. Think there's nothing else like it. What other product are you forced to use by the government of the United States? And you touched on something. This is not just about children. The children was just the beginning. The pharmaceutical industry wasn't, you know, all these pushes like in California where we took the rights away from parents and now they're forcing children to be vaccinated. They're going to go to public or private school. They don't pass those laws because they're really concerned about the 2% of unvaccinated children, uh, which usually averages out across the country. That's not the big money for pharma. The big money is in the beginning to do that what they're working on is adult vaccines. And there's a, there's a campaign called Healthy People 2020 that you can find on Healthy, uh, Health and Human Services website. And what it is is essentially a mandated vaccine program for all adults. We are looking at a future where you're not going to be able to get on a plane. You're not going to go to a restaurant. You won't be able to go to your job if you don't line up every year and be vaccinated. And, you know, people can, they can think these things are just water that it's like saline you're injecting, it's just some little tiny bit of virus. But these things have so much aluminum there. We know that now it looks like they're leading to not only autism as a child, but Alzheimer's as an adult. Uh, you know, like I said, uterine failure, paralysis, neurological. What do you think aluminum does? It's a neurotoxin. It causes encephalitis. It causes encephalopathy in multiple studies around the world, rat studies, mouse studies, monkey studies. When people tell you the science isn't there, all of the science currently being done by real legitimate scientists is showing that these vaccines are destroying the brains of the only thing we can test on animals all over the world and it has been figured out we now know where autism is coming from where multiple sclerosis is it may not be the only cause but it's the greatest delivery system for toxins we have is injecting it straight into the bodies of our and we don't just do it once i mean i want to i want to put this in perspective you know we if you think about the fact that our autoimmune disease has gone through the roof, everyone's seen it. We see the diabetes everywhere, autoimmune disease, cancer, autoimmune disease, multiple sclerosis, autoimmune disease. It goes on, lupus, autoimmune disease. Why, when we're seeing a crisis of an increase in autoimmune disease, what I say is, well, what's causing it? People say, Dell, how do you know it's not the water? How do you know it's not our food? How do you know it's not our air? And I say, you know what? I think all these things are contributing. And we should be looking at every single one of these things because every one of them is being affected by an industry that is just putting toxins into it. But when we're talking about autoimmune disease, meaning your body for some reason is confused and has begun attacking your own cells in your body, shouldn't we look most closely at the one product that is designed by design to alter your immune system for life. When you ask a doctor, well, you know, pediatrician, how does the vaccine work? And they say, well, you know, it tricks your immune system into believing it's had a disease, but you don't have to go through all the symptoms and you develop immunity. We trick your immune system. Well, we're not tricking that baby's immune system one time. We're not tricking it 
10 times. We're not tricking it 20 times, 50 times, 60 times, 72 times. We are sending the body into a hyperimmune reaction where it thinks it's allergic to everything around it. Where do you think anaphylaxis is coming from? Why do we have children that are deadly allergic to peanuts? Why do we have all this illness? I believe it is so obvious that if you keep sending a child's body at one day old, two months old, four months old, six months old, 12 months old, 15 months old, into an allergic shock reaction with vaccines, no doubt we are going to see more and more children's immune systems that are confused and are now attacking their own bodies. It doesn't take a rocket science to understand what is going on here. I don't know why it's happening. I don't know how doctors can be so dense, but even... You know, the science is there. The studies show it. What can we do? We have to stand up. We have got to start talking to each other. We've got to tell the truth. And that's what I, that's why I appreciate being on shows like this. All I can do is tell you the truth. I can show you the studies. If you watch my show, The High Wire, on Facebook, YouTube, all I do is present scientists. Every show I do, I give you the links to the science I found, and most of it comes right from the CDC itself. I'm a journalist. I'm not here to make up stories. I can only tell you what I find. And what I have found is one of the greatest human experiments the world has ever known. And to put it in perspective, when we got through Nazi Germany, we had the Nuremberg trials. We put on trial 16 doctors that had experimented and done just horrific things to innocent children and people in concentration camps. Out of those trials, we developed the Nuremberg Code. And the number one code is informed consent, that you must, you know, never again, we essentially said, will a democratically elected leader, a nation, forcibly inject products, test products, put people into any sort of experiment without them volunteering themselves and being fully aware of all the benefits and all the possible dangers of that product, of that procedure, whatever it is. It's the informed, it's informed consent. And what we now know, what I've told you, is we have not tested these vaccines for safety because it would be unethical. Instead, we're giving children 72 untested vaccines through the time they're 18, and we are doing it without the consent and without parents' consent. No parent knows that, for instance, let me just put it here, this is the truth. In 2016 alone, we have one system that captures vaccine injuries called the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System. It's run by Health and Human Services. If you take your baby in and get a vaccine and they suddenly have seizures, your doctor is supposed to report it to the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System saying, child was this old, got this vaccine, this much time later had seizures or died or whatever it is. Well, in 2016, there were 59,711 reported vaccine injuries in America alone. 432 of those were deaths. So 432 innocent people died from vaccines, we know for sure, in 2016. What makes it even more terrifying is that internal reviews by Health and Human Services, one done by Harvard Medical School, investigated the, the VAERS system and came out and said it appears that only 1% of the total amount of injuries in a population are being reported to this system. So think about that. If that's true, based on their own words, 
Then 59,000 reported injuries in 2016 becomes 5.9 million. And 432 deaths turns into 43,000 deaths. I'm not saying that there's no way to do accurate science. You cannot extrapolate from 1%, but we know we're only seeing 1%, and the numbers are that high. This all I want people to do. I don't need you to come all the way to where I am and say I don't believe in vaccines when I fight them. I just want you to say that, you know what, those numbers are shocking enough that I want to see a public debate. I want to see my pediatrician have to debate Dell and the scientists that, are, that, are, that he's talking about. They're doing the monkey studies and the mouse studies all over the world. I want to see that debate again because there's a chance we have been lied to and there's a chance we're on the verge of destroying a generation of children. And it's not just autism. Countless are dying of SIDS and sudden infant death, sudden unexplained death right after the vaccine. Others have diabetes, ADD, ADHD, through the roof. The list goes on and on and on. And if you don't think it's vaccines and you want to trust your doctors, go right ahead. You, this is a free country. But you can't force me to believe in what I think is now just a religion of science. Products that are never tested, that our community just believed is safe and thinks they're the greatest thing ever without being able to prove it. I should not be forced to have to use that product because I'm a journalist and I have children and I spent three years reading every medical study that people told me said that vaccines were safe. And I've read them myself, and that is not what they've said. We've been lied to. Del, I couldn't, I, I don't want to stop you because you were just speaking truth. And I have to have you come back because we didn't even finish scratching the surface about the inflammatory response and how the gut is is integral into, I believe, yeah. into the the autism outcome and the fact that it's toxic and the body may not be able to, de to detoxify. Please, I hope you come back because we need to talk about this side of it. I wanted people to understand the bigger picture. And I think you did a masterful job of explaining that. But we have to go into the, into the depth now, into the detail. And I, please, please, I hope you'll come back for part two on this. Sounds good. Let's do it. And so what's the best way for my listeners to reach you? Um, the best way is really to just go on Facebook or YouTube and type in uh, the High Wire or at High Wire Talk or my name, Del Big Tree, and you'll find our Facebook page. And I'm doing, you know, I have done 70 episodes uh, interviewing scientists and everything every week, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific time. I also have a nonprofit that has a website that lays out a lot of these things in a very clear terms in white papers. Uh, you can just go to ICanDecide.org. That's ICanDecide.org. And just look at the white papers there. And it's all laid out very clearly with citations. You can look at where my information is coming from. Uh, and you'll see that it's all sorts in medical journals, published journals. Um, there's a lot of work to do. People need to wake up. This is a very serious issue. And I really appreciate you allowing me to take the time to inform your listeners. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. And thank you for listening to Medicine on Call. Revolutionary talk for revolutionary times. Promoting peace, liberty, and prosperity around the clock. LibertyTalk.fm.